Chapter 6-4, a podcast that tells stories of successes, failures, and learnings for Kiwi tech organizations. I'm your host, Bradley Scott, and each episode I invite co-hosts and guests to tell a story of an important part of a Kiwi tech organization's journey. Welcome to 2022, everyone. I know those sentiments are a bit late, but I gave myself some time off from editing podcast episodes, which is why it's been some time since our last episode about pushpay. Now that we're into the year and back up to speed, I'm pleased to share the conversations I had with Mel Rolzel and Nick Holdsworth before Christmas. They're the co-founder and employee number one of Vend, respectively. Vend started off in 2010, and after a couple of funding rounds, By 2013, they were bringing Awesome Sauce, which was Venn's own style, bottled in hot sauce form, and Chuck Taylor's to the tech scene in Auckland. After several more years grinding away at the business, Venn sprang back into the collective tech community's attentions last year for being acquired for 350 million US dollars by Lightspeed. This episode is the story of growing the Venn family. Hi, I'm um, Mal Rousel, and... Along with Vaughan Russell, who's now Vaughan Ferguson, um, started out Vend from a little idea and uh, created it to become the behemoth it was, um, and essentially took care of all things to do with uh, people and culture. Hello, my name's Nick Holdsworth. I started out kind of, I guess, doing a range of different stuff, customer-facing roles, support, uh, but then over time, that sort of evolved into uh, chief marketing officer, building up the go-to-market function. Mel, you you mentioned in the intro the the genesis of the idea for Vend. So maybe if you can elaborate for everyone how that came about. Yeah. So look, um, Vaughn might tell a as the the way that I understand it is that Vaughn was looking to build uh, some whiz bang thing that you could, um, you know, use. So you could take your phone into a shop, you could um, scan an item and get all of this information about it. Um, And then you could basically sort of ping that information to the front of the shop and off you'd go and you'd buy it. And it would be like a really, you know, easy and cool uh, shopping experience. And then he realised that the point of sale was the old POS piece of shit as opposed to POS point of sale and thought right well I better fix that up first so I'll fix that up and then I'll get on to this other thing um, and so there started the journey um, of the point of sale software so that's what Vaughan says as the you know as the as the genesis of it and I remember we were sitting on the floor in um, Kerry Kerry where we lived at the time and he said to me, right, Mel, I've got this idea, but um, if we want to pursue it, we'll have to head back to Auckland. And I, to be honest, wasn't really super enjoying Kiri Kiri life. Um, and so within probably 10 minutes of us having that conversation, that was it. We were moving back. Um, and so the house went on the market. We moved back. Um, and, um, yeah, and then he, he started building this thing in the spare room downstairs um and you know it kind of disappeared 
classic kind of founder move, you know, disappear for a year or so. Um, occasionally come upstairs and, uh, you know, he'd show me a button. We go, Mel, push the button, push the button. So I'd push the button and something would happen. And I'd go, my God, that's amazing. Um, so <laughs> I'm like the ultimate tester because I can break anything. I can, you give me a piece of software and, and I'll break it. Um, I'm very good at doing that. So, <laughs> so I disappeared for a year or so and then, um, you know, and then got our first customer um, and then, you know, uh, first investment money, which is the typical, um, you know, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of no's until you get to a yes. Um, and having to and was this a was that. this a seed round? Like when you talk about the the first investment, yeah, like yeah, was yeah. it angels? Was it a bit um, you know, I more think VCs? When um, Sam Morgan and Rowan Simpson came on board, so. We didn't do the old, um, you know, ice house or anything like that. That's not really born style, hey Nick? He's not really that nice. <laughs> so um, he, could, he knew he knew Rowan um, from the time at Viacom. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, he does. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> if I look back in history, you know, when he did his bike ride um, from Stewart Island up to Cape Reinga, I think a part of that was sort of connecting. He connected with a couple of people along the way. And so I think, you know, strategically playing the long game, that was him kind of, you know, proving to himself that he could do something, but also, you know, showing to other people, connecting with people, because I think our first investment round kind of came out of that bike ride. Um, funnily enough, uh, I mean, obviously it has to be a good idea and all that kind of stuff, but you know, it's all about relationships. Um, so tell us about the bike ride, Mel. Was this after, um, Vaughn had got a prototype and a customer no, and then no, the no. bike ride came or was this before all of Vend? No, this is just Vaughn being a silly bugger that he is. Um, decided that he would ride his bike from um, Solo from Stewart Island all the way up to Cape Reinga. The guy had never really ridden a bike. Um, and he, you know, he was, I mean, if I was going to do this, I'd put myself on a training regime. He, like, rode over the hill about five times and was like, right, that's it, that'll do. <laughs> he went and I I was a bit pissy at the time because uh, he had left me at home with the two children who were like maybe two and three years old or something like that and disappeared for six weeks but it was perhaps it was that was before we had the conversation about returning to Auckland so no doubt he was thinking that time during that time in formulating this this idea in his head. Mm. I think it's an interesting point you raised, Mel, about like, um, I, I think that was one of Vaughan's talent skills, maybe consciously or unconsciously, like he's very good at building and, and maintaining relationships. And I think, you know, through Viacom and he met Sam and Rowan and he probably realized he had something in his mind that he wanted to do. And he, that bike ride, he nurtured those relationships, right? It probably wasn't necessarily intentional at that point in time, but Rowan joined him for some of the bike ride. I guess they were sort of shooting around ideas for for the concept, and so 
uh, that first seed round was, while it seemed like it was front of friends and family, there were some pretty pretty notable investors in there. And I, it was something I observed with Vaughan over the years. He was always, there was always a few kind of potential investors that we would be connecting with whenever we were visiting San Francisco. We'd spend a bit of time up and down Sand Hill Road, not necessarily because we were raising, but just because we were trying to keep on the radar of people. Uh, Christoph Jans from Point Nine was like that. I think they'd met at an event a year before uh, he actually invested money. Um, and so those early rounds went quite smoothly because a lot of those connections were already built. And they had established relationships. We were able to prove the value. And I think it's a, I just think it's a really important lesson for a lot of early stage companies that are thinking about building product or, or thinking about their first few rounds of capital. Like the process starts long before you put your pitch deck together. Um, you know, in fact, if you if you do it right, the pitch deck could just be a few lines in an email that kind of gets people interested and then they can look at your financials. And so this kind of can feel a bit scary, can feel a bit overwhelming, the, the normal process of fundraising. But actually in a network where there's a lot of really interesting um, ex-founders who um, are looking to make seed investments, you, you know, if you've got the right connections, you can kind of build that network almost organically before you get to the point where you need it. I couldn't agree more because I think that for the most part, People are, I mean, people are not going to invest in a terrible idea that's obviously, you know, going to fail, right? But if you've got an idea with a, you know, decent chance of success, beyond that, I think anyway, you're investing in in the person and the person's ability and tenacity to pull off that idea, their ability to build a team around them to, um, you know, to support them in, in building that out. Um, so, and that, and, and people get to, so, so it's therefore vital that people get to know you, understand what makes you tick, um, and, you know, build up that relationship with you over a period of time. And I think that Vaughan was quite good at that, just always keeping in touch with people. You know, how, if you were like in marketing parlance, like keeping them warm, which I, <laughs> nurturing <laughs> the leads <laughs> but I like to think of just like you know keeping in touch and you know saying how's it going keeping you up to date blah 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 blah. so it sounds like there was an idea uh bike ride some early investors and then at some point Nick you came on board so tell us about how that came about you were our first employee that's right I was the first official you employee. Were first employee yes because Vaughan and I were both um, contractors, and I think we had Rowan um, doing the um, development. Content coding, yeah, yeah. He was Rowan, Rowan Alton, not Rowan. Rowan Simpson. Alton, yeah. Uh, he was. Who's, who's, who now, by the way, is my brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was a contractor. He lives about three doors that way. Yeah. Yeah, and we might have had Kyle. Baby. We might have had Kyle at that stage on contract, and then you came along, and you were at the number one employee. Yeah, so that was about May, I think, or June. And so then I remember April. So then shortly after that, that was when I went full-time on it. We would come and work from the offices in Heather Street, uh, take a couple of desks each. There was about 20 other people from VWork app who were working there. And um, and I was only doing it part-time, and Vaughan was doing it part-time, at least for the first couple of months. Uh, if he was doing it part-time, I don't know what he was doing with his other part-time, but he wasn't... <laughs> Well, he claimed he claimed he was he claimed he, claimed he, had some he other was consulting doing it part time. Oh, it's hilarious! And what was he doing yeah. for the other part time? Jumping out of planes, apparently, <laughs> for a recruitment videos. <laughs> Getting ready for. 
yeah. Oh, funny. Um, yes, that's right. And we had so yes, and that he was in there because um, Sam Morgan um, had invested in VWork app. So he was like, dude, uh, have a desk in this office. But God, do you remember it was so quiet? Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I, the thing that surprised me was I, I remember because there was only two of us there. So it was there mornings, Monday through Friday, and uh, mainly just clearing support queues and trying to write blog posts every now and then. And, um, and this is the thing I learned about Paul because he's a software engineer. So he hadn't really worked that closely with software engineers. And, um, you know, so he had his headphone all day coding mostly. And I think, you know, my kind of pitch to Vaughn was I could take care of all the customer facing stuff so you can keep writing code. And, um, and when he was in the zone, he was really in the zone. And we'd be sitting at desks next to each other. And if he had a question, he'd send me a um, chat through Google <laughs> chat. I'd be like, this chat would pop up and it was void. It's like, you're sitting right there. <laughs> you can talk to me. But actually, that was how he operated. When he was in the zone, he would just stay in the zone. And so, um, but, but yeah, the, the office was generally pretty quiet. I think we, when we brought on a couple more people through 2011, there was definitely a sense that we kind of wanted to create our own space and create our own environment and have our own culture. Um, kind of when when did that really happen? When did you kind of feel you had a distinctly vend viable way of working, way of being? Yeah, that would have happened when we, for sure, when we took over all of the the floor in Heather Street, um, because up until I, I mean. I don't know. The defining moment for me was when we got control of the Sonos, <laughs> and we <laughs> and Friday drinks and Friday drinks. Yeah, yeah, Friday drinks and our own Sonos playlist. That I don't know why, but that's those are the things that I felt for me were the biggest thing. Well, there was the I guess it was a critical mass of people, right? We had enough people to fill an office. Um. Until that point, you know, for, for at least six or seven months, it was Vaughan and me and then maybe a couple of other contractors who would be joining the Friday drinks of another company who, you know, had their own culture, but it was kind of different to the way that we sort of saw ourselves. Um, and and it was yeah, it was quite interesting because at the time, I think they were they were trying to pivot and replatform and, it, you know, it wasn't going as well as they expected. And so they were kind of reducing their size and we were growing in size. And it was it was quite interesting. It was a slightly uh quite a strange vibe where we were kind of taking on cash and growing and they were sort of reducing in size until the point where we kind of expanded and took over the office and so i think it was you know better for both companies when we kind of parted ways and you know still still good friends and still they're doing really well today but at that point in time it was um it was a sort of different we were on different tracks i think um but i remember in the early days when we would hire people and we'd interview them you know i remember matt lyons uh uh, you know, coming on and support. And I said, look, if you're looking for the kind of company where you hang out at the water cooler all, all day, shooting the breeze <laughs> and playing pool, this isn't it. This is like heads down, headphones on, typing, 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 working really hard. And But it's a really great vibe and a really great problem to solve. And so in those early days, it was very much, it was very hard work. It was very, um, it was very much sort of focused. But then, you know, when we could down tools at the end of a week and get the Sonos machine to myself, it was a really great vibe. So this is a really timely topic in a way, because with the impact of COVID, a lot of companies are assessing the role that an office space and being together plays in their culture. And so reflecting back on 
Vind and what you learned there about people and culture and growing an organization, what advice would you give people today that are maybe thinking about what role physical spaces plays in their growing organization? Good question. And a really hard one to answer because um, a lot of organizational cultures have kind of been built around this office, you know, where the office provides a lot of that connection. But it is entirely possible to create a great culture that do, that's not built around uh, an office. But I think the difficulty is that when you're in the same space, things happen organically and it's quite easy. Um, you know, especially, you know, you've got a founder and exec team who are all aligned on how they want to be at work. Chuck them all together, throw some other people in, and a culture will start to grow organically. If you don't have that office space, then I think you need to be a lot more deliberate about it. And so, you know, really thinking about designing those interactions and that communication, because I, I think, you know, for a large part, so much of where cultures go wrong or, you know, the, the areas that you can really, the touch points where you can really make a difference is in all of those communication touch points and that whole, you know, employee experience thing. And when you've got an office, employee experience is relatively easy to, um, you know, form and shape how you want it to. You just need to be a lot more mindful. But having said that, like the world has changed so much in the last sort of 18 months, two years in terms of virtual work. There are so many things now that just weren't really there um, at the time that we started Vend. I mean, we didn't even have Slack when we started. We had bloody Yammer. I think we we were on, that's right, we were on Yammer. I think we even used Skype maybe (laughs) before. Yes, I think we did use Skype. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, so I, I I would say that Also, I think that one thing that I've reflected on, which is kind of interesting about when we started Vend, was that I was dead set on the fact that we had to have employees. I was like, no, we need to have employees, you know, because it's like they are committed to us, we're committed to them, you know, build this kind of real sense of team, of, you know, togetherness, uh, without thinking at all really about the financial implications of that. And um, subsequently, in the work that I've done since, um, now I'm always thinking, should this person be an employee? Should they be a contractor? You know, it's it's kind of like, and, and what does that mean for the culture and, you know, this sense of shared commitment and, but also what can you afford? You know, there's actually quite like a, quite a bit of nuance in that decision decision yeah yeah it's an interesting question Bradley I don't if, if we had done it all virtually would it have been the same company De- definitely not but would, would that have been better or worse it's just there's no way of really knowing I think I, I mean the lesson that we generally see is when companies form remote and stay remote that works quite well and they you know they build their culture around that where it's hard is when you form one way and then you try to go the other way um, or you you have a sort of hybrid model I, I you know I think if you can and you're a small team and you can be in a single location, especially in the early days when you're starting out, there's obviously huge advantages to that. I, I don't think, you know, in this day and age, you need to be there 
you know, and I think that's kind of the model that most companies are working towards. When the company's larger, you know, when you're walking around the offices at zero, you don't know half the people there anyway. And so whether you're kind of virtual or not, but but you want to be able to connect with your immediate teams more frequently or, or your peers across the organizations. Um, but, but if I think about a lot of the sort of magic moments of Vend, the sort of team culture, the videos we created, the, the ideas we had that turned into products, a lot of that did happen serendipitously through being in the location or going to visit other teams in different locations too. And so it's very difficult to know what you might be losing if you were to not evolve that kind of culture. But I'm sure that would be equal gains that you wouldn't expect as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree that a lot of the like the the you know bend magic hundred percent came out of being co-located and just having the you know like the pool table, the coffee machine, all that kind of stuff. You know, I think from a people and culture perspective, that what that does is that it creates a space for people to mingle who may not always talk to each other. Um, and so, and that's the, can be the genesis of new ideas. Um, so, so, or just new connect. Well, it was actually, the, it was actually, the, it was the genesis of new people. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got, I have two nieces that were a di- direct result of um, <laughs> oh, the fact that people, you know, you, there was a bunch of kind of young, hardworking, ambitious people, uh, work, you know, working in an environment together who, who spend a lot of their social time together. And so um, there were a few relationships that formed out of that. I think, um, yeah, like I think event was the first place that I ever worked that I didn't want to leave on a Friday afternoon. You know, it was actually, I actually really liked, I, unfortunately I had three young kids and so I could really stick around for a Friday beer because it was just, it was like a, a zoo at home. I had to get back and help feed the animals, but it was just such an amazing vibe at the end of the day. And, and, um, and it was really, you know, it was like, it was like a hard week intense work but then everybody who was there felt like they were a friend it felt like you had a really good connection with your body it was just you just wanted to spend time with them and and i'd never really experienced that before in an organization and i think i think a lot of people that were there felt that same connection i think that fueled a big part of the culture and it was the same when you'd you know when we eventually started expanding offices overseas a big part of our strategy was to was to redeploy people from auckland into those offices to help kind of seed the culture and the vibe and when you'd go visit them it was amazing. It was like, you know, visiting family and it was a really great place and really great atmosphere. And I think, you know, that's the sort of hard to measure, but really important part of company culture. And that's a really nice stopping point for our first episode about Vend. I want to thank Nick and Mel for the time that they gave up on the morning of 23rd of December, just before Christmas, when the year was winding down to help record this interview. Do keep an eye out for episode two. We're going to be talking about your brand when you're hiring, international offices, and the realities of diversity in a startup organization. This has been 6.4, a podcast that tells stories of successes, failures, and learnings for Kiwi tech organizations. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know, and share it with someone else who you think would enjoy it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please get in contact to suggest them. Until next episode, goodbye.